Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Esther, chapter 9, verses 20 to 23, where Purim is established. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month where their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, and giving presents of food to one another, and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. Hello, my name is Benjamin Park, and I bring you greetings from Minnesota, where, honestly speaking, your brothers and sisters sit with sad and heavy hearts this week. As you know, a man named George Floyd was killed a few days ago. Uh, when, while being arrested, a police officer put his knee on George's neck for several minutes, ignoring his cries for help, ignoring him as he said he couldn't breathe. He didn't have a gun. He was fully under the officer's control but the officer didn't move and this killed him. And so would you join with me in prayer as we begin today? God, I thank you that in moments like these, we are not alone. I thank you that we can come together with brothers and sisters, with disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we can reassure one another that chaos will not win, that evil and hatred will not win. And we know this because when evil turned its sights on your Son and unleashed all of its might, your son was victorious. I thank you that I can gather together with the congregation and proclaim that the tomb is empty, that the battle has been won. Lord, as we gather, would you speak to us through your word? Let us hear what you have to say to us 
Holy Spirit, guide us. Fulfill the promise that Jesus gave. And let us be his disciples. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier, my name is Benjamin Park, and I want to thank you for this opportunity to share from God's Word with you today. I come to you as a friend of James and Liz from seminary, and the last time I had the opportunity to worship with you was over seven years ago, and it was at Pastor James's installation service. At that time, I was an associate pastor at the United Presbyterian Church of Seattle, and since then, uh, my family and I have moved uh, to Minnesota, where we've been for the last few years. A little bit more about myself. I'm married. Uh, we've got three kids, ages two through seven. So we're almost out of the diaper stage. And so it caught my eye as I was reading through a few news head headlines, um, the following headline from the New York Times. Parenting during the coronavirus. I have given up. So we haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but I definitely sympathize. Like many of my fellow parents, my wife and I have been just trying to figure it out day by day, uh, feeling like we stumble more often than we soar. And it's really been tough. And I think that's true for all of us, isn't it? Not just parents, not just families, it's true for everyone here. And yet with that, here at Inglewood, you have been doing something incredible. In these unprecedented times, you have been the church. You have gathered as a church. And I know this because I've been checking you out on Facebook and I've been listening to your worship services and watching your worship services actually. And I've seen how you've been so intentional and how you've drawn in different leaders to lead different parts of the service and have put so much into leading worship every single week. I know it's not easy, and yet you've done it. And you've done it during a time when no one's ever really had to do this before. So I want to commend you. This is a time where you could have said, we don't know how to do this. We're not sure what to do. We give up. But you didn't. You are disciples. You follow Christ. And you follow Christ whether the playbook is there or whether the playbook is not there. And right now we don't have a playbook, but you're still following Christ. And you're, you're being his church. And so I commend you. So with that said, let's continue to be the church together today. Let's dive into God's word and let's hear what God has for us today and for this week. So today we're taking a quick break from Exodus, though we're staying with the theme of freedom. And instead of Exodus, this week we are in Esther, which is set many generations after God's people are set free from their slavery in Egypt. In fact, it's set so far after the events of Exodus that the Jews, a large portion of them, are now living in Persia. And how they got there was they had been exiled to Babylon after being conquered. And then when the Persians defeated the Babylonians many years later, 
they were freed from their exile and some returned back to Jerusalem and Judah and Israel, but some went to Persia and lived there instead. The passage that we read for today, it's the culmination of a story that begins, for our purposes at least, with two of these Persian Jews, Esther and her cousin Mordecai. Esther, having lost her parents, is adopted by Mordecai. And when we first encounter them, Esther is one of many young women chosen to enter into a competition, a really once-in-a-lifetime competition. And that competition is to see who will become the emperor's new wife. And she wins. And soon after that, not only does she become the emperor's new wife, with the help of her cousin Mordecai, the two of them actually save the emperor from an assassination attempt. And Mordecai's name is entered into the imperial record. This is important because sometime later, a man known as Haman the Agagite rises high in the royal ranks to become the emperor's vizier, his second in command. Agagite is another word for Amalekite. And the Amalekites, if you remember, were sworn enemies of the Jews, going all the way back to the days of Exodus. And Haman, from his position of power, he issues a decree, a really prideful decree. He declares that the entire nation, the entire empire, must bow before him whenever they see him. And everyone knowing his power, they do so. All except for Mordecai. And Haman, in a, range, when, in a rage when he finds out, not only wants to have Mordecai executed, but all of Mordecai's people throughout the entire empire. Unfortunately for the Jews, Haman has that kind of power. He goes to the emperor. The emperor gives him his blessing. And so Haman, all he has to do now is pick a day. So he goes before his gods and he wants to find out what would be the day that would be best to carry out this, this act of genocide. And so he casts lots called Purim. We're not exactly sure what these Purim looked like, but it would have been akin to rolling dice or drawing a random card from a deck. And he does this to determine which day to do this. And the day that the lots fall on is the 13th day of the 12th month. A decree goes out from the capital declaring that this day, the 13th day of the 12th month, will be the day that the, that the people of Mordecai will be destroyed. When the Jews hear this, a great cry rises up, for the day of their destruction has been decreed. But Esther, with the encouragement of Mordecai, goes to the emperor at the risk of her own life to plead on behalf of her people. And to make a long story short, not only does the emperor listen to her, but that very night, he cannot sleep. So he goes to the imperial library, he pulls a, a dusty book off the shelf, and which book does he pick but the one that contains the story of how Mordecai had saved him from the assassination attempt. And he goes to his servants and he says, remember Mordecai, remember how he had, had saved me? And all the servants say, oh yes, yes. Well, what do we ever do for him? Do we ever honor him? And the servants say, no, nothing 
had ever been done for him. So the very next day, the emperor turns the tables on Haman. Instead of allowing Mordecai and his people to be executed, he executes Haman. And he declares that the day of the Jews' destruction will now be the day of their defense and salvation from those who would persecute and destroy them. Which is how we get to today's passage. Mordecai, now promoted to Haman's place, issues a proclamation commemorating that this day, the day that had originally been intended for the destruction of God's people, must now be marked as a day of their salvation and of their redemption. In scripture, the decree reads like this, the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and that's the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. And Purim has been celebrated ever since. Let's sit on those phrases for a second here, because I think they're important. Relief from their enemies, sorrow turned into joy, and mourning into a day of celebration. We are in the midst of some pretty sad and mournful times right now. I mean, with COVID-19, uh, as I said before, it's unprecedented. And when we really just kind of take a step back, it's it's been a wrecking ball, is, what I, is how I like to describe it. Just sweeping through our lives, and some of us more acutely than others, some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost jobs or businesses, and the ripple effects are still coming. And even if we've managed to avoid those things, we have constant anxiety. Anxiety over health, anxiety over jobs. And some of us are experiencing extreme loneliness right now. We've all had our lives turned upside down. So I meet with a few friends for a monthly Zoom call and we share prayer requests, and many of us shared about our struggles with homeschooling and wondering what to do with our kids and all that. And one of my friends who lives alone, he shared with us something that just made our jaws drop. He shared with us that he hadn't eaten a meal with another person for months, not one meal with other people. And it was getting to him. COVID-19 has been a wrecking ball. So here's the first thing I hope we all hear from today's passage. The day of relief is coming. The day of joy is coming. The day of celebration, it is coming. We don't know when. And I think the uncertainty is one of the hardest things. But let's listen to Esther's story. God never lost sight of his people. Even with them spread all over the Persian Empire, which was really the known world at the time, God never lost sight of his people. He never, his ear was listening for their cry. And as we see what he did for his people there, May we take heart. 
and know that God has not lost sight of us. COVID-19 is not going to have the final word. You know, as Christians, we're pretty funny. We believe that God has a cosmic plan of salvation. We believe that walking with Jesus as his disciples is the way and the truth and the life. But then we kind of live like God meets us at the start. He gives us a blueprint or he gives us a map. And then he says, I'll see you later. Good luck. That's not the kind of God we have. We don't have a God whose salvation just comes at the end. We have a God who is at work with us in the here and the now, who is constantly working out his salvation in our daily lives, and that includes the struggles of today, the wrecking balls of today. God is with us, and he is walking us to that day of celebration, that day of relief, that day of joy. The second thing I'd like us to focus on today is this. In many ways, Esther has this real fairy tale kind of Pixar sort of feel to it. It's got the courageous hero, it's got the evil villain, the doomsday threat, and at the end, the miraculous rescue, all in 10 short chapters. But as much as it's kind of like a fairy tale, it's also got something very gritty and real in it. And that is the targeting and the near destruction of an entire people group. We kind of skimmed over this when we we're uh, rushing through the story, but let's go back and let's slow down for a second over this part. So Haman, he goes to the emperor. He tells him he wants permission to wipe out an entire people group, an entire nationality, and his reasoning is they pose a threat to the empire because they're not obeying his laws, his laws being that they should bow down to him. And in response, the emperor doesn't take a week to think deeply about it. He doesn't form a committee to research all the pros and the cons and the ethical implications. He simply says, do to them as it seems good to you. They are nothing to him. Hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of lives, less important to him than what he's going to eat for dinner that night. It should be shocking, but unfortunately, it's par for the course for human civilization. Time and time again, humanity has accepted the demeaning and the dehumanizing of entire groups of people, entire nations, slavery, holocaust, racism, genocide. But as we reflect on what actually happens here in Esther, what I hope you see is this, that God sees, God acts, and God knows. And even though God's name isn't mentioned explicitly anywhere in Esther, God's fingerprints are all over this story, from the calling of Esther in the first place to Esther's bold actions before the emperor. And God works through Esther, God works through Mordecai to do the impossible, to push back against the powers that be, to push back 
against the mobs that no longer saw her and her people as human and to, and to turn the tide. You know, it's easy to look at what happened to George Floyd in despair because in so many other cases like Floyd's, justice was not brought and nothing changed. I mean, this is not the first time something like this has happened. It's been years now and it feels like nothing is happening. And when we zoom out and as we look at our world as a whole, we see entire people groups still are being singled out and targeted and those that speak hate and those that do hate seem to be getting away with it. And so as Christians, as we want to follow Jesus and as we want to be his disciples, to bring his message into the world and to live out and be the body of Christ, we find ourselves just slamming into this doing all we can to make change and to bring justice and to bring healing and to bring compassion. And it feels like nothing is happening. It feels like things are just going to get worse before they can get better. And so it's easy to give up. And it's easy to just focus in on ourselves and say, well, we can't change all that. So let's just focus in on our bubble, whether that's ourselves or our families or our, even our churches. And we just bring the focus in and we don't want to look out because we don't think anything can change. We don't think that we have the power as individual people or even small groups of people to really do anything about it. And that's why I'm so thankful for Esther. What Esther tells us about God and about how God works is this. That through the simple yet courageous act of speaking up for a people, God can use an orphan girl and her immigrant cousin to do what most days seem absolutely impossible. Change the course of an entire empire Restore the dignity and humanity of an entire people. Let us see this today. We have a good and powerful God whose eye is always on the orphaned and whose ears never stop listening for the cry of the afflicted. God sees George Floyd. God hears the cries of those who seek justice. So let us not cease praying. Let us not give up hope. And let us be vigilant and quick to step up to defend those whose humanity and dignity are under attack. Confident in knowing that our God can move empires with just one voice one person willing to speak out on behalf of their brothers and sisters, their fellow human beings. As we go forth from here, where is our hope? 
what what is occupying our minds may we be disciples of christ who know that the tomb is empty who know that god has not checked out but god is on the ground right now he did not leave his salvation to someone else he did not contract it out to somebody to take care of for him he is on the ground right now and he's working through us he's working through you the church his disciples and he through you is going to move empires he's going to bring about that day of celebration that day of joy let us not give up hope in Jesus' name.